Hey everybody, I'm Larry Little, and you're listening to Crossing the Line, our podcast where I talk with people about the moments in their life when they cross the line from leading with their head to leading with their heart, and from leading with their heart to leading with their head. And today on the show, I have somebody that knows all about leading with his head as well as his heart. His name is Kevin McNulty. Kevin has an incredibly inter- interesting background. He grew up in a military family, traveled across the world, went to five, six, seven high schools. But now, uh, after a, a, a time of serving our country in the military, in the Air Force for 20 years, now he's taking all that he's learned and he's helping others. He's a coach. He's a, he has been um, able to write a, a wonderful book about his life. And man, we just had fun with this conversation. Kevin's easy to talk to, easy to listen to, but he has an awful lot to say. You're really going to, I think you're really going to like him. You're going to enjoy his vulnerability. You're going to enjoy his practical application of what we need to do to be successful in our lives uh, as people, as, as leaders. So uh, I'll, I'll hush so we can get to this conversation because I want you to meet Kevin. I want you to, more importantly, here, Kevin. By the way, this is just part one. It was so rich. Uh, we just we just got to come back and we got to do another one so you can be aware of that. But here's part one, the first part podcast. Let's jump into the conversation with Kevin McNulty right now. I'm looking forward to this, guys. Uh, we're here with Kevin McNulty, and I just met Kevin to be honest with you. But man, he came highly uh, referred to me, and I didn't really know he, you know, if it would be if he was really all that or not, and and all of a sudden, I meet this awesome guy, and we start talking, and uh, we had to stop visiting so we could get to this podcast, Kevin. That's a, that's when you know you're going to like somebody. And, uh, man, you, uh, I knew after we started talking about two minutes, I like this guy, and you've done so much. But welcome to Crossing the Line. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Larry. The pleasure is completely mine. And, and I don't, if you want to just repeat that whole intro thing there, I'm happy for you to do it. You know, I'm I'm, uh, let's just say I'm having a low self-esteem day. So, so go ahead and say that again. <laughs> yes. Let me just say it again. We'll, we'll try to get that on a, a loop. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Get it on a loop thumb drive and send it to me. There you go. <laughs> oh, thank man. you for having me. Uh, thank you so much for being here. You've done so much. You're an author and, and a coach and, and, and an educator of leadership. And, uh, and, and by the way, uh, thank you for your service. Uh, you, thank you. You served us in the military. We certainly appreciate that. And so thank we you. just want to spend some time today getting to know you and uh, and hearing your hearing your story because thank it's you. worth hearing. You didn't get to where you are today, um, you know, just by by having an easy life and, and not overcoming some things. So we want to learn from you today, Kevin. And we're so excited about that. And so I want to just jump right in because I want to make sure we watch our time and let let's go. Let's go back to, to where did you grow up? You're, you're an eight-year-old guy. You're, you're, you're in you know, your parents' home. Where are you? Give us what it's like a day in the life of Kevin as an eight-year-old. Well, uh, let me just start by saying it's complicated, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I was eight years old, let's see. Whew, I was probably actually living in Bad Tolz, Germany, in the Bavarian Alps. Uh, believe it or not. Now you probably didn't see that coming. So because I, I was I, yeah, you know, I was raised as a military brat. So I was born at Womack Army Hospital at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. My father, you know, was in the army at the time. He happened to be a, a special forces Green Beret. Uh God rest his soul. He just passed on wow. me last uh last April. But um, oh, 
So, you know, as a result of, of that, you know, he spent 26 years in, you know, I really spent the first 19 years of my life moving around as a brat, really. And mm -hmm. so I think around eight, I would have been in Bad Tolts, which has some wonderful memories for me. Uh, and uh, again, I, every two, three years we moved and that was, uh, that was, uh, you know, such a blessing and, you know, and it came with challenges too, you know, right. that I had to realize later in, in life. Right. So, so Kevin, talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, you, you grew up in a military home, moving around. Um, it, it was a blessing, I'm sure, because it, it exposed you to so much culturally. Um, That's right. what, what were, but what were some of the challenges that, that you faced? I can't imagine moving that much. What was that like for yeah. you? Yeah. Well, you know, as a child, you don't think about it that much. I, when I reflect back on it, I mostly see really positive outcomes. For instance, you know, I would say in a more positive sense, you know, even particularly towards the work that I do, I'm in the soft skills, you know, business. That's what, what I mostly coach about. And of course, that is primarily, you know, how you think about things and how you and your people skills and these sorts of things. And so moving around literally for 40 years, to be quite honest with you, because later when I was 19, I joined the Air Force. So I spent 19 years growing up. Then I joined the Air Force, actually, because I had a special forces dad, I tell people I I, uh, I felt like I was more in the military growing up than when I joined the military. He was a tough dude, man. He, uh, you know, and so it was interesting. But the point is, is that, um, you know, I have a bit of a chameleon-like uh, personality. And, and I don't mean that in, in, in the negative sense, but in the sense that I, I just don't know of too many situations that I can step into that I would feel uncomfortable. I just, you know, and and again, it's not magic to me or it's not anything incredible. It's just the way that I was raised and and what I learned from uh, adapting so quickly. So to your point, I there were times, probably the, the best example is that, for instance, in the 11th grade, I moved, it was either four or five times in one year. So as a junior in high school, I went to four different high schools it might have been five because I ended up back in the original high school. But having said that, uh, that, you know, that was, of course, that's that's on the that's, you know, that's the, sort of the on the fringes of of uh, moving around when it comes to to that sort of thing. But it wasn't unusual to. You know, to do multiple times to do two high schools, to leave one school and go to the next. I think the military, as, as I think they do now, they they try to. Uh, manage that so that you maybe leave and, and, and go during the summertime so that you can start fresh. But I've, I've, I've stepped into the middle of a school year and looked around and was like, wow, this is, you know, <laughs> I don't know any of these people here. And so, wow. so, so that, so that the, the blessing there is, is the ability to move around is to see a lot, um, you know, it is to relate to people on all levels, on in from all backgrounds, from all sorts of scenarios, and as I continue to do that, I really can reflect back more, uh, you know, when I was an adult to look back on how that impacted me than how it did at the time. So we talked about this being the blessing, 
He, he talked about moving around to four or five high schools, but yet he's looking for the positive out of that. I think that's the stuff great leaders are made of, the ability to take something very difficult and find something positive out of it. Wow. For me, it was, you know, the, the, the thing that they say, you know, it was just it was just my reality and I enjoyed it a lot. You know, the complicating parts, the, 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 the more complicated parts really came after I retired from the Air Force and realized um, you know, it, it's, it spawned my book. I, I ended up in this really very serious uh, depression and anxiety state. And, uh, and, and out of that came, you know, um, you know, thanks to God, all that, that came out of the, mm. the book came out of this transition. But as mm. I started talking about change and transition in the, in the book, there was just so many realizations that came about one. So on the one hand, I could, I could navigate and adapt. You could send me to any country right now. I'd have no problem jumping in a car, a rental car and driving, even if I've never been to the country. The difficult part was, especially after getting out, it was indeed like, you know, assuming you've lived where you have all your life, that you packed up one day and moved to China. And now you have to figure out everything. So I didn't know anything about business. I didn't, you know, I didn't have mentors, so to speak, because we constantly moved and constantly, I didn't, I didn't understand the American workplace. Um, I didn't, I, I, I understood the American culture from a different standpoint, even when we lived in the United States, oftentimes it was on a military base. So you see, I had this, I had this weird dis, disassociation with a lot of things, but I mm. also observed it from a different perspective. So all of those things come together, of course, as you well know, when you're an adult and you start to, you know, the question it always is in my mind is, can you shake it out? Can you, can you shake out, you know, the, you know, the difficulties of it, the, the blessings and the curse, I guess you could say. Can you shake it out? Can you shake out the difficulties and, and the positives and, and make it work? Uh, it's a cognitive exercise. It's an emotional discipline. But I think it's so important uh, in life in general. What a, what a nugget of truth. Can you shake it out? Can you look at it in the perspective of good and bad, hard things and, and positive things? It's, uh, it's an important lesson for us all, I think. So to put this in perspective for us, just, just kind of think with me and think through if, if you had to, to guess, and you may know the number exactly, how many high schools did you attend, if you had to guess? The high schools alone, you know, um, I don't know, five, six, seven, maybe, you something imagine- like that. Now think about that for a moment. Yeah. Let, let's say seven, and that's yeah. just high school. No, yeah. five to seven. That's just high school. Yeah. Uh, it, it, wow. And, and so to say that doesn't affect you. So I'm, I'm interested in your book, and I want you to tell us about it in just a few minutes. I want you to, to give us a little more information on that because I think it's very relevant. But as you're a teenage guy and you walk into that classroom, you're in Germany or wherever, you walk in and you go, man, I don't know anybody what was your how did you deal with that what, what was your coping mechanism to jump in there and survive yeah. because you knew first that you were going to only be there a short time right um, but you also know you had to survive while you were there right so how, how did you navigate yeah that? you know honestly uh it 
it really depended. But so for instance, when we were overseas, now I didn't go to, I, I think my last, uh, the last time I was overseas was still elementary. So, um, and most of that was in Germany and Puerto Rico, but then in different places around the US. But right. I can tell that particularly where, either where we were living on a military base and perhaps went to a military school, which a lot uh -huh. of that has changed now, or if we were overseas and went to, uh, an, you know, like in Bad Tulsa, they had the American uh, American International School, I think they called it. But most of those people were, you know, brats of special forces. Yeah. So we all, you know, could instantly connect. We, there was no issues there. It was when we'd go to a different place. I went to high school and, you know, I was another one I just thought about in, in Seal, Alabama, for instance, which is, uh, well, you're in Alabama. You may be familiar yeah. with it. It's it's out in the boonies. Wait, what's the name of the town? Seal. It's near Phoenix City. Okay, it, I know it, Phoenix City. Wow. Well, I mean, if you haven't heard even heard of Seal, I don't blame you because it was it was out in the middle of the boondocks, as we said. I mean, it took us an hour and a half to drive to, to go take the bus to school because we were going down so many. Uh, so many dirt roads picking up folks that lived in these shotgun houses and all these other sorts of things. Yeah. So again, there's, there's a different example. I step into that scenario and I'm like, this is like a different planet to me. I mean, literally it was like a different planet, different culture. Oh yes. yes there were was. some military brats that went there, but not so much at seal because it was, so my dad was stationed at uh, in Columbus at Fort Benning there. Yeah. And uh, so I spent a year, this was my ninth grade year. And, you know, it was just, uh, it was just so different to me. And so I step into these scenarios and, you know, you're just, and you, you I assume have kids, you know, you're yeah, yeah. trying to, trying to fit in, trying to adjust. But again, I, that this, I reflect back now on my life that as a military brat, I had no problems adjusting. I could, I could step in adjust and adjust, but fitting in was also uh, challenging as well because people didn't know me. So I could sure. step into a scenario, but I wasn't necessarily accepted, if you will, you know, for a sure. lot of different well, how, how could you be? But so yeah. so let's let's fat you're you're learning these hard, hard lessons of, of being able to adapt and, and fit in. Yep. Um, but but now you're you're let's say you made it through all that. College is here. Um, where did you meet? Did you meet your wife in college? Tell us a little story about the young adult, Kevin. Yeah, no. Um, you know, no, I didn't. And I'll tell you about, about that in a second. I wouldn't, I would like to just back up just, just a okay. minute and just sure. say one thing about growing up <clears throat> because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like, what were my greatest challenges? And this was, this really exacerbated sort of the challenges that I had really had nothing to do with moving around, if you will, except for the fact that I learned later in life and, you know, I know, I think everybody says this, I, I'm not trying to jump on the victim bandwagon, right. you know, but, but I, but I had a very serious disability and it was mm. a learning disability. Oh, For wow. instance, I couldn't, you know, I remember sitting, um, sitting in, in high school, this was, would have been maybe the 10th grade or, or maybe the ninth grade, you know, it's really odd. I'm trying to think if I know where I was, but if it was the ninth grade, I'm trying to think of exactly which high school it was um, or which year it was that we were learning pre-algebra. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I think in the ninth grade by now, you know, kids are into calculus, you know, they're so much smarter than us. But honestly, Larry, I could not understand a word my teacher was saying. I looked at this, I'm listening to her put these problems on this board. Again, it's pre-algebra, so it gets it doesn't get any simpler than that in terms of right. you know, and I remember looking at that going, I, you know, and I always struggled with math, but this was a whole different thing. I was like, I, I couldn't understand the language or anything, let mm. alone the formula. So I remember one day she came walking around, she gave us some problems to solve. Again, these are simple problems. And she came around and she stood next to me and I just sat there with my blank paper. And and I guess per, perhaps the, the simple formulas were there to resolve or we had to write them down. And I remember I was just staring at it and I knew I could almost feel her breathing on me. I could still see her face. And I then I and and she said and she she said a couple of things, you know, like asked me questions. So Kevin, this is this. And and I just stared. And I remember she bent down, kneeled down, and, and she put her arm on me, I remember, and I I knew that she knew I was seriously struggling here. Oh, wow. And she she kept trying to talk me through this. And I remember just in my head, I I have no idea what's going on here, you know, and she patted me on the back and she said, you'll get it and just walked on. And so this was uh, sort of the reality of the learning problems that I had. And then the other thing, again, I didn't, we didn't call it a learning problem back then. We just, I just couldn't freaking figure it out. And then I had problems. The other part that I had problems with reading comprehension. I could literally read a paragraph and not tell you a, a single thing that I learned in reading that paragraph. So I say all of that because that then later on became very important to me. You know, the sign of a great leader, I mean, somebody that you can um, really buy into, it's when she or he, in this case, he is willing to to be vulnerable and to talk about uh, a learning disability, quite frankly, that he had. And uh, for, for us to learn from, he, he cares enough about impacting others that he's willing to share his own vulnerable history. Uh, wow. In fact, I will tell you, it's kind of a funny story. And this is what I learned later on is when, when again, it might've been the ninth grade, might've been the 10th grade. I'm trying to remember, but we had to do these book reports and I would just freak out over this because of my reading comprehension. So what I learned to do is to go to the library, find a book that I was convinced my teacher would not have read and that it had illustrations and big words. And sometimes it was well below my category. I take it home and I'd literally make up the story based on what I was seeing there. I turn in my book reports and I would get A's every single time doing it that way. I know it's crazy, but that informed me later in my life. That was very important. So actually I, I, um, I went, I, I, graduated out of Rayford, North Carolina uh, high school. My father Mm. had already moved on to Bowling Green, Kentucky, where he was teaching military science at Western Kentucky there. I moved up there for a year. My goal was to, because I was a musician, musician going up, I thought I would move to Bowling Green and hit Nashville and become a recording artist. And within a day, (laughs) I'm probably exaggerating. I realized I wasn't even close. I mean, I was I had been writing songs since I was in the ninth grade, actually at 14 was the first song I'd written and had probably written a couple hundred songs by, by this time. So I get to Bowling Green and I'm out of high school. I'm on my own. 
I was a bit of a hippie trying to do this. And I very quickly realized I couldn't do this. I was just not even in the ballpark as a songwriter, understanding how it all worked. And again, this is what I'm talking about. I didn't have any understanding of, of this world. And, and so, so I ended up joining the Air Force and I didn't go to college. I, I joined the Air Force and, um, you know, and like a rebellious teenager, I, uh, you know, I didn't like what my dad was telling me. He knew, he, he knew college wasn't for me, you know, he, right. you know, and, and again, and, and I think he wanted me to just move on, you know? Yeah. So he was trying to talk me into the, into the army. And, and so just to, just to piss him off, I joined the air force, you know, <laughs> well, I, I thought I had the last word, you know, but, but the, the truth is, is that he could have cared less which service it was just do one, you know? Right. So I joined the air force and, uh, and spent 20 years in. That's amazing. Uh, and, and, and did the air force provide for you what, what you were looking for? What, yes. what about those, those 20 years of service that you gave? Yes. Yes, for me, the Air Force was life changing. It put in and and these and, and now I'm almost getting into all the things that I learned. But in a nutshell, it put the structure around what I needed. Uh, you know, I later learned on learned about my disabilities as I was getting older. And that, you know, you know, you know, everything from from uh, from a form of dyslexia to to um, um, you know, to just being really scatterbrained and right. a short-term memory was not that good. And, and that to learn, I really needed step-by-step step and really clear, simple instructions and all these other sorts of things. And so I started off and interesting enough that when I joined the Air Force and took what they call the ASVAB, the test to go into the Air Force, I actually scored pretty high. And I later learned out why. So I ended up in an engineering field. I was still just a technician, but I went into the water and waste field, which required, a, you know, a little bit more, uh, you know, just a little bit more intellect. But when my recruiter said that to me and that I had the ability to, to choose from X, Y, Z fields, I mean, there's different levels. So it wasn't at the highest level, but it was like a medium level Whereas if you were at that level, you know, there, there were some things that they would want you to go in because you had the, I guess you could say, just, let's just say the intellect to get in there, but that meant nothing to me. I, when he said that it probably just went straight over my head, I went into the field. I did that for about six years, basically water and waste, water treatment and waste treatment, fascinating job, quite frankly, as bad as it sounds, uh, especially in the wastewater, uh, field. And, uh, and then I, then I ended up, <clears throat> man, my life is so complicated. I, <clears throat> I have to cut out a bunch of stuff here because it takes too long. I, I'm not joking about this or trying to boast about it. There's no. so many, uh, so many different uh, places that I could, I could go, but, but the, the long short of it, uh, two things happened to me. One, I, I joined this uh, this Air Force Entertainment Group that maybe some of your followers, if they're associated with the Air Force, would would recognize them. It's called it's called it's an Air Force Entertainment Group called Tops and Blue, and Tops and Blue basically is like a uh, it's like a like a, a Vegas or a Disney or a Broadway style show of right. thirty members 
that travels the world doing shows for uh, different purposes. So if you think about like the the Thunderbirds, the Air Force Thunderbirds or the Blue Angels, they have a mission, you know, right. and they go around and, and do these things and it's for recruiting, but it's all, all sorts of things and morale purposes. Well, we did right. that from an entertainment standpoint. Oh, so wow. Just think about a Disney show that you would go to and see a live, Dis- without the character, a live Disney show, a lot of choreograph, big band. And so I was a guitar player in, in this group and it, oh, that's wow. a whole long story, but that's where I met my wife in 1984. Was she a singer? What did she do? She was a singer. Yes, I was a guitar player. She was a singer. And uh, really, we were just good buds for a long time. And then, you know, later on, uh, later on, you know, there was a spark and and this, that and the other. But and so, yeah, we've been together now 35 years. But that's how it went. But then to to kind of get a little bit more back to the professional side, I ended up cross training after that, after my last tour. So I did four tours with them. And I ended up then getting into what is known, what's known as social actions or human relations education. So my world then became advising commanders and 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 civilian managers about people problems, everything wow. from diversity to equal opportunity treatment to team building to a lot of leadership stuff. It was a big integrated thing. So if you were like the wing commander, the general on base, yeah. my job, we worked directly for you. And my main job was to help you or our office, I should say, a little agency on each base, was to make sure that you understood the, you know, that you had your finger on the pulse of the human relations climate. So as you can imagine, you know, we did employee engagement surveys, we, we, we counseled, we coached, we investigated problems, we dealt, we, we met, we dealt with you know, employees and, and airmen. And, and so as you can imagine that I did many years of that, That is what led me to the world of soft skills and the work that I do now. It's good to know that our military values EQ, isn't it? My goodness. (laughs) And and here's what I can say to you, Mm. Uh, Kevin, um, we don't have enough time. We need more time. I I need to hear from you. You have so much to to teach us. And we're just now getting to the point to to where we are. uh, You know, now we're getting to, to want where you can share with us and give us your wisdom. And I want to do that. And we also, uh, Robin, our producer, we, I think we've got a part two coming. I think this is, I think this is part two. But let's, let's. I want to, want to get my hands around some of these nuggets from you right now, Kevin. Please. So, so as you're uh, advising um, the, these military officers on people skills, on on making sure they understand the people, did did you find that that it was difficult? And how did you translate what you're, you're calling soft skills to people who? are black and white thinkers and who are really mission driven, yet you've got to help them understand what we call EQ, emotional intelligence. What was your strategy in that? Can you give us some nuggets around that? Well, uh, that's a really, that's a great question that, you know, that has a lot of different complications to it, but so, but, but I will back up. So now when it comes to sitting down with these military commanders, but also again, you know, employees or airmen, you know, we dealt with, you know, airmen, a supervisor, so all up and down the echelon, and this is where then my skills growing up came into play, okay. that there just weren't wow. many people that I would run across that I couldn't yeah. relate to, that I didn't understand, and, and, and um, y- you know, and so, so what, what I realized about a, a lot of these different things was uh, was making, in fact, you know, if we talk about like, let's just say diversity and inclusion right now, which has changed 
yes. dramatically over just the last two years. Okay. Right. I, I literally, I mean, this, this sounds weird and I, I apologize. It sounds too, too bold, but I consider myself actually an expert on diversity and inclusion. And, and I, I won't go deep into okay. that, Okay. but in the last two years, it has changed so substantially that uh, it's, it's that a lot of people, I guarantee a lot of supervisors, managers, employees, executives are struggling with the, the big changes that have take place. So the reason, and the reason why I say that is because in part, what I brought to, this, to the civilians uh, private sector was the following to answer your question. If you're a commander, uh, Larry, you're a general and, um, and you need my help in solving people problems. And let's just say you run a security forces outfit you know, that guards the perimeter of, you know, of military bases overseas, or even in wartime, why do you need to solve your people problems? It's a great question. I, I'm just fundamentally, why would, why would you need to solve or have your people problems solved, like decent morale, people getting along, you know, no discrimination if possible, and these sorts of things? What would be like your bottom line, why you need that to happen? Because we need to execute, and we can't execute if the culture's imploding. Yeah. Bam! I mean, you just nailed it for obvious reasons. You're you're in this business, and that is exactly right. So, in the military, we always approached commanders, and I stuck to this stuck to this principle and mantra that the reason why you need to solve this, despite what you think about it, is because you have, let's say, a young airman who's a female airman who's getting sexually harassed on the flight line at three in the morning, and she works inside of aircraft engines you know she you know she's always they're joking you know and the, and the fellows are joking about her her body and how she looks bent over into the into that engine and and i would even ask a commander you know what could go wrong there and you would just mm -hmm. see them grab their head they say you know i just can't imagine uh, an, an airman a female airman of mine feeling this way working on an intake trying to get out of this scenario as quickly as possible and then inadvertently leaves a wrench up inside the intake, wow. correct. Yeah. And, and what's the problem? Well, you know, uh, lives and a lot of money could be, you know, and a lot of stuff can be lost here. So that becomes then the argument or the 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 conversations that I'm having with 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 anybody at any level and say this is why we have to solve this. And so then I brought this to the private sector and it resonated a lot. Sure it does. If you want to execute in, in the business world, you better understand your people. We're gonna we're gonna find out more about that. Um, so you you hang on to this, and, okay. and uh, for those of you listening, we're gonna have a part two. I I, I need to to wrap this <laughs> up right, here. and I feel like we're just getting started. But I want to ask you two two things as we turn this corner. We're gonna come back to that to what you sure. just articulated. The leverage for people skills mm -hmm. is is execution and and being able to to do what we need to do in the business world. The mission, you bet, be successful. But uh, let, let's talk about your book, please. Tell us the name of your book. I want to make sure we get this in this time. So what's the name of your book? Well, I appreciate it. It's called The Gap Between Two Worlds. And it's, uh, you know, turning difficult life transitions into personal growth experiences. So it's all about that. It's about how you take a very difficult transition in life, whatever it might be, and grow from it. So it's, it's, the, it's basically got this idea that there's the old world and the new world, and there's the gap in between. And so I talk a lot about what it takes to traverse the old world to the new world. You see whether- And if I want it, where do yeah. I get it, Kevin? You go I to Amazon. Yeah, Amazon would be the quickest way to go. 
Beautiful. Yeah. I can't wait to read it. A, a real, a real life example. You, you're giving, you know, you're teaching through what you've experienced and there's no greater teacher. So thank you for writing it. Um, we look pleasure. forward to, to reading it and I hope our, our listeners do as well. One more question for you. If you got just a, one more moment yes, with sir. us, uh, there are aspiring leaders yeah. who are listening, who are going through struggles, just like you, maybe they have a, a learning disability. Maybe they're just struggling with life and in this ridiculous world that we live in right now where things seem to be going bonkers what would you tell them hey look if you truly want to influence others if you truly want to want to lead here are some things you need to just know just some kevin's tips for for life and leadership yeah but what are two or three things you'd tell us well i'll 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 stick to one of them but i i will say very briefly that there are a few things the first thing that i would say is to you know especially as a young aspiring leader or, or not, or you don't have to be young to be an aspiring leader, but as an aspiring leader right. is first and foremost, check your ego and mm-hmm. go do your research about the ego and, and how that impacts your ability to lead, to learn, to grow. I'd say number two, uh, the, the best skill that you could ever learn as a leader is learning how to ask really good questions. And again, mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that and move on. Uh, I also like to tell leaders, especially as you're as you're a newer leader, because you have an t- opportunity to sort of really develop and, and shape this, is to take care of your personal brand. And your personal mm. brand, of course, is what other people think about you. And then the last thing that I will really uh, spend just a moment on is that, because it relates back to my childhood, is to discover Really, really, and I don't mean just like, okay, yeah, I know what I'm talking I mean, really, really search and discover what your strengths are. Uh, very quickly, Larry, you know, back to when I was in the ninth grade and writing these book reports, what I learned later in life, this was after the Air Force when I got into human, edu- human relations education, I realized above all, my strength was my creativity. And it was how I ended up writing these book reports, but it was also, I realized it wasn't, you know, and I don't think it's so much this way anymore, but if I said you were creative, some, you know, to, especially to a man, to a leader, you'll be like, yeah, I mean, they, they, they don't really want to hear that. You know, they hear you're right. a good decision maker, you're good to all these. Well, the creativity is a massive skill and tool that you have, especially if you lack a little bit more on the, on the, on the left side, you know, that. Right. And so I'm just saying that that was, this is a, it's a cliche, but that truly was and is my superpower. You know, that got me thinking, what is my strength? And, you know, I know my strength, but am I leveraging it? Am I using my superpower? What about you? What is it that you really do that you really have that you really do well? And it's your superpower. That's a great question to ponder. My ability to creatively, let's say, problem solve creatively uh, make this, you know, all of these things, you know, don't strictly come from my creative mind, right. but it's at the forefront for me, you see, and there you have well, it. Well, Kevin, here we go. Here's what I want to ask you then. I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to practice what you're saying to us. Hmm. When you come back, will you, will you consider this? I have, a, I have a request. When we do part two, could we lead part two, lead into part two with you playing the guitar? Oh my gosh. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It I do I it hear you. Yeah. I, I'm excited about it. So either that two, or it, it may be the ukulele. It'd be a little easier to handle. But yes, I would be, I would be, be glad great. to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Listen, listeners, you got to you got to check us out <laughs> because part two is coming with 
the musical side of Kevin, and we want to we want to see it. And we got so much more to talk about, Kevin. And we're going to. You are a brilliant, brilliant man, mm -hmm. brilliant leader. Well, Thank you for for teaching us, walking us through your past, being vulnerable with that, uh, and then challenging us with what we need to do, not only as aspiring leaders, but but any leaders really. Uh, this, these tips you've given us are are amazing, but also. The, the how you've challenged us to understand the importance of people skills and, and yes. why those are just as important as task skills. So much more to talk about. Thank you for being with us today. You you are you're a lot of fun. More than that, you're just a great leader. And I really well, appreciate that's just so kind of you. I'm humbled by your words, but but I'm very grateful to be here, Larry. I've heard a lot of good things about you and certainly read up on you and congrats mm -hmm. to you and your team really on such a lot of such great success, honestly. Yeah. Thank you for for having me. Thanks, Kevin. Until next time, take care. Thanks. All right. God bless. Well, I hope you could sense what a good time I was having. Um, you know, it's not it's not every day you meet somebody like Kevin. He he was just he he just is authentic. He he was vulnerable. I really enjoyed uh, this this conversation, and I'm looking forward to part two. And I hope hope you are as well. Uh, very rare is it that someone has gone through what he has in life. Uh, from moving, from a, a learning disability, from military service, from speaking into the lives of leaders in the military, and now speaking into the lives of business uh, owners and business principals and leaders. Uh, just such rich, good content. Hope you had a chance to jot down what he said about the, the things you need to know. If you're a leader really of any age, it's check that ego, learn to ask the right questions, take care of your personal brand, uh, discover your strengths and use those. And hey, I was serious. In part two, he's going to play the guitar. So you get ready for that. I really hope that you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. And I hope you can take some things away from it that will help you to make a difference as you cross the line from your head to your heart. We'll see you next time.